0: It's not just about pregnancy. Welcome to SBH Bronx Health Talk, produced by SBH Health System and broadcast from the beautiful studios at St. Barnabas Hospital in the Bronx. I'm Faith Daniel. Consider these recent statistics from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. 21% of all new HIV diagnoses were among young people aged 13 to 24 in 2017. 87% were young men, and 13% were young women. Half of the 20 million new STDs reported each year were among young people ages 15 to 24, and nearly 210,000 babies were born to teen girls ages 15 to 19 in 2016. These are numbers you need to be mindful of, whether you're a teen or the parent of a teen. With me today to discuss sexual health is Dr. Nadia Scott, Director of Adolescent Medicine and SPH Health System. Welcome, Dr. Scott.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Of course. So these statistics are crazy. Um, are these like some concerns in the Bronx?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's national trend, actually. Sexually transmitted infections, including gonorrhea, chlamydia, syphilis, have all been increasing over the past five years. And there's certain places, and the Bronx is actually one of them, where the rates of sexually transmitted infections are even higher.
0: And what um do you think is because of a lack of education here? Or are you finding that it's just teens are kind of coming to you a little later, like when things have progressed? So I think it's a combination of things. So
1: the rates among young people, that's been a consistent concern. They sort of have been keeping records of sexually transmitted infections. They've been most common in young people. And that might be due to, again, less condom use, more sexual risk-taking, more sexual partners. Probably is also part and parcel that young people are less liable to advocate for their own health both within the hospital setting and without in their personal lives. Young people don't know that they should be concerned about these issues, and they don't know that they should be asking their doctors about them when they go in for their routine healthcare checks.
0: And what kind of questions should they be asking or what should they be doing at home to kind of make sure that they're okay and their body is where they want it to be and healthy? Well, I mean,
1: I think that you know, being mindful of what your body tells you is very important. What I'll say is that sexually transmitted infections can have a range of different symptoms. Some of them include pain with urination, unusual vaginal or penile discharge, pain with sexual intercourse, fevers, rashes. But the important thing to remember is that most sexually transmitted infections have no symptoms. And the only way that someone would know that they were infected with them would be to have routine testing, which has to be done sort of in a healthcare center or a doctor's office in most cases.
0: And what's considered routine? Is it once a year? Is it every three months? And is it dependent on the number of sexual partners you have? Right. So the CDC has recommended that all sexually active
1: people be tested for sexually transmitted infections like gonorrhea, chlamydia, and HIV at least once a year. So that's sort of the least amount, but it can be more often based on certain factors. Now, you know, we don't really like to talk about who's high risk or low risk for STIs. We do, but we don't want people to forget that anyone can get a sexually transmitted infection. It doesn't mean anything about the person. You know, the bacteria has no sort of preference. Right. So I've seen young people, who they've had sex one time in their life and they've contracted a sexually transmitted infection. Things that people should be mindful of is if they have a new sexual partner or if they have had more than one sexual partner in six months that they may want to be tested on a more regular basis. But again, like we said, a lot of people are going to fall into that category. So it's really making sure that you're open with your doctor and also that your doctor is asking the right questions
0: so that they know about your sexual health. And what kind of questions would you ask if a teen came in to see you um, pertaining to sex, just so our audience could kind of prepare? Right. I mean, I just generally start with questions about
1: what we would more consider reproductive health, which is things like the age that young woman started menstruating, or the age that the young man started going through puberty, you know, started shaving, things like that. But we also, I would ask them if they are sexually active. And another important thing is that doctors have to be clear about what they mean by that. Because there are certain people, young people especially, may not know what that means. And, um, you know, you need to be really clear with young people sometimes so that they can accurately describe what's going on in their life. And, you know, I would typically ask them who they're having sex with as far as, you know, the gender of that person, because that, again, lets me know what sort of tests I should be running, you know, things that I might need to counsel on more as opposed to less. And I would ask them how many partners they've had. And I typically, try to get more specific when I ask about condom use. I typically don't just say, do you use condoms? I want to know, is it 10% of the time? Is it 20% of the time? And when's the last time you had sex with no condom? Because again, there's probably not a single sexually active person in this world who at some point in their life hasn't had unprotected sex. So we want to sort of relieve people of the stigma And we want people to be as honest as possible with their doctor.
0: Yeah, you mentioned a lot of important things especially for doctors not assuming like the gender of the person that you're um, having sex with. I think that's um, really important and also a little anxiety inducing for people that come in that may not be like heterosexual. Mm-hmm. Um, and also like understanding what safe sex looks like for them is very different because mainstream education is all about like heterosexual sex. And also just that like STDs do not discriminate and it says nothing about like you. Per se. Um, It's not that stigma. I wish we could kind of just go away with it so that we could start talking about it more openly. And say, if you did get an STI, like that's okay. Like there's treatments, um, there's like ways to talk about it, and there's support here. So, are there any myths that you can kind of dispel? You already kind of began to, but are there any other ones that you see a lot of loopholes in when you talk to your teens?
1: Well, I mean, I think that another thing that people are sort of misinformed about is how you're tested for sexually transmitted infection. So some people have told me they've been screened and they said, I had a blood test. Now a blood test will test you for certain sexually transmitted infections like HIV, like syphilis in certain cases, herpes, but a blood test doesn't actually test you for things like gonorrhea, chlamydia, trichomonas. The only, thing that tests for that is what's called site testing, which I think is an important thing for people to understand. So most typically in our office, we'll ask the teenage patients to leave a urine sample, a urine sample, which we will run for a test for gonorrhea and chlamydia, and in some cases trichomonas, which is another sexually transmitted infection. But the thing that you have to, again, because you need to get the history if you're a doctor, that only... Tests for if there is gonorrhea and chlamydia in the urethra, so in the penis of a man, or in the vagina of a woman. So, if you're having sex in other orifices, you haven't been completely tested for those things unless you've had a specific, you know, cells taken from those areas as well. So, some people also falsely believe that they've been tested for sexually transmitted infections. And they don't know specifically what they've been tested for and what they have not. And so they may be going forward with sexual behavior without a full knowledge of sort of their infection status.
0: That's a good point. Any sexual um, being should be getting blood testing and like a urine test, right, for it to be a complete picture? Correct. And for teens that are considering to go in for testing, do they have to explicitly ask for like a blood test and a urine test? What is typically done? Is it just like the urine test off the bat and you have to ask?
1: So again, you know, it kind of depends what kind of doctor you're going in to see. If you're coming to see me, I already have in the forefront of my mind testing for sexually transmitted infections. I would look at the last time someone was tested for something like HIV or syphilis. And if it hadn't been within a year, I would ask them to go for a blood test as well as the urine testing that would, we would be um, also performing. And, you know, again, I just going back to sort of the misconception, a lot of people think that they should only be having testing if they have symptoms. And, you know, a lot of times it does not have any symptoms, so it's really important to be testing. And it's fine to also ask your doctor, say, I was wondering what my status was and if I could get testing. So sometimes, you know, doctors have a lot of things that they're going through during a relatively short visit. And so, if that's an important part of your health care, and I truly believe it should be an important part of every sexually active person's health care, then you should be reminding your doctor hey, do I need testing for this? I would like to make sure that I know my status.
0: That's a good question. And I think that for our audience, it would be good to like, kind of keep that in the back of our brains. Like, you know, whenever you do go in to see like your adolescent um, health doctor, just be like, hey, like what's my status? Or when's the last time I was tested? Cause sometimes we don't remember ourselves and we think, oh yeah, it's been great, but it's been like a year or two years even. Um, is there a such thing as getting tested too often?
1: No, I don't really think there is. I kind of feel that if someone's coming to me asking for testing, they're doing that for a reason. And again, you know, it's better if you can share with your doctor what that reason is. There's not really any such thing as being tested too often, especially because you may have had like a new risk and you you need to check your
0: status again. And for teens that are coming in and they have questions, is there a level of confidentiality with you? Yeah, so that's
1: definitely a good point to make because I think that a lot of people, again, like you were alluding to, there's a lot of stigma around sexually transmitted infections. And it's right there in the name that the way that they're transmitted is through sex. And so a lot of teens may not be comfortable sharing with a parent a doctor that they're sexually active because they may be concerned that that may affect their care in some way or if they're disclosing to a doctor that their doctor is going to share it with their parent. But teens should be aware that that's really not an issue. All states, all 50 states in the union mandate that minors, so anyone under the age of 18 can go receive confidential testing and treatment for sexually transmitted infections. So that means basically they have the right to consent, they don't need a parent's permission, and they have a right to have their, the fact that they were tested as well as their test results and any treatment left as confidential, meaning that it's only between the doctor and the patient unless they wish the doctor to tell someone else, like their parent or potentially um, a sexual partner.
0: And if somebody comes in with a parent, they're allowed to ask their parent to step out, right? Yeah, so actually they don't even have to ask their parent. So what I
1: typically do is, even before I say one word to the patient, is the first word I'll say is to the parent, be like, thank you for coming, I'm an adolescent medicine doctor, the way that this visit is gonna work is that we're all gonna to talk together and then I'm gonna have you step out. I'm gonna to talk to your child alone. I let the parent know that this is something I do with every one of my patients. So it's not that there's some reason that I have to talk to only their child alone. And then I was like, and then we'll bring you back at the end. I find that saying that before you even get into the visit really just creates a relief for the patient and also a management of expectations of the parent that this is going to be part of the visit and this is what distinguishes an adolescent medicine visit from potentially a a different type of doctor's visit.
0: And for parents that may have a little bit of anxiety about that, the moment they're like, shoot, I have been shunned, I can't come in, What advice do you have for them or for them that are just like really nervous about their teen like having sex or, you know, the thought of them having sex, stressing them out? How do they talk to their teen? How do they handle that stepping out?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that it's really it's a hard question. And this is sort of what puberty is, right? This tiny little child that you've nurtured and grown through many years is now beginning to look and in some ways beginning to act like an adult. And they naturally, they want more independence. They want more freedom. And that's actually an appropriate part of their development um, and part of their becoming an adult. It can be difficult for parents, but I find the way to make it clear to keep open communication is basically to assure your child that, Your love for them is not conditional on any behavior, which I think is the truth, but I think that children don't completely understand that. And of course, they don't want to alienate their parent and they don't want their parent to be disappointed in them. And I think that parents feel that their love is unconditional. There's nothing that can stop that love, but they need to convey that to their child. And when you put that down as a you know something that is true about your relationship every day then kids will be more likely to be honest with you and we encourage honesty between parents and children it really helps a lot when i have a parent who is aware that their child may be sexually active and again parents want what's best for their kids so they want them to be healthy they want them to be protected they don't want them to have the infections or unplanned pregnancies. So, I mean, it helps me a lot when patients and parents do talk to each other openly, even before you try to make clear that you're open about sexual things with your child in a very vague way. You know, even let's talk about what your periods are like, because there are a lot of kids who are not telling their parents about their periods, and that's a big problem too, right? Mm -hmm. And it also creates this you know, sort of falsehood, that there's something to be embarrassed about, about the development that comes with puberty. And, you know, if you can even start with something like that, that has nothing to do with behavior or anything like that, just being like, let's talk about your periods. And then in a general way, you know, you can sort of reference, oh, here's this story about birth control. Here's this story about sexually transmitted infections in the New York Times. Like, what do you think about that? you know, giving your child the respect of knowing that they're um, an intelligent person and sort of exposing it to them, shows the child that if they have an issue, if they're not feeling well, or they have a question or concern, that the parent is a resource for them. So I think that those are sort of the first steps. You know, a lot of the conversations are definitely not easy.
0: Mm-hmm. It, it can course, be really and hard. awkward <laughs> yeah. And like uncomfortable on both ends yeah. But I think you raise really good points In that when there is open communication You can kind of be like Hey mom I don't even know the difference Between like a tampon and a pad Can you like help me out Or right. what should I do Or even like if there was something to arise That would like pertain to sexual health Just being like oh you know what Like maybe I might need to see a doctor Like can you come with me Or asking a friend But I do think And I think for a lot of people like your sexual health becomes like the first time that you start to take ownership of your health and you start like really like taking a look at your body and trying to figure out like what is okay, what's not okay. And it's like a sense of empowerment a little bit too when you get to do that with your adolescent medicine doctor, which is awesome. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I
1: think that, again, what I would say is that basically ignorance is never... A solution and sort of not talking about these things right. at all mm-hmm. leads to a lot more problems, leads mm-hmm. to, you know, I think people think if I ignore my teen sexuality or the teenagers, like, if I don't think about these things, they'll go away. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. that's the opposite <laughs> of the truth. So exactly. <laughs> um, again, just getting people comfortable with talking about it mm-hmm. is a good thing
0: and not getting advice from your friends that know just as much, you know? Yeah. I think that's when myths kind of like start to fester when you're getting advice like from the same person that has like no idea as well. Right, right.
1: And I mean, luckily in New York City, there's relatively comprehensive sexually awareness, education, things like that um, as opposed to other parts of the country where again (laughs) sort of the ignorance is bliss Mm -hmm. philosophy um, tends to prevail with pretty dire consequences. You know you can look at sort of the rates of sexually transmitted infections, rates of teen pregnancy, and they tend to be higher, highest in places that have poor um, sexual education. So in some ways we're lucky that we live in New York City but again, there's always going to be people who have misconceptions and who promote them as the truth. The internet is a great tool, but also yeah. a dangerous tool. <laughs> Double-edged sword. Ba- exactly. Basically, anyone can say anything um, with very little evidence. And people, you know, they tend to believe things that they read. And um, so it's always good to really seek out sources that are reliable. Do you have any um, recommendations? The CDC, the Center of Disease Control, is a great source of information. They have information about all sorts of aspects of sexual health, including sexually transmitted infections and. They do a good job of not only they have sections that are tailored to healthcare professionals, but also things that are tailored to people who may not have as much experience in sort of medicine, medical language. They explain it in very plain terms. And also there is Planned Parenthood. Even though it's thought of mostly as dealing with contraception, they have a lot of good information about sexual health generally, because Planned Parenthood does a lot more things besides providing um, birth control and abortions. They do a lot of sexual health care generally, and they have great resources there as well. I often will even use some of these resources if patients have questions, or you know, if they need to tell their partner about a sexually transmitted infection, I'll often print something out for them and be like, this is the best way to explain it. Obviously, we need to get them treated, but we have to get their partner treated as well. That's a really important step that a lot of people forget. Or their partner may say, I don't need to be treated because I don't have an infection. Basically, the best prevention against sexually transmitted infections, if you are a sexually active person, is condoms every time. But if you are in a monogamous relationship, which is really important, that you're only having sex with one other person, that both partners are tested early in the relationship so that they know that they might have any infections. Again, there can be some problems if someone's like, I was tested for sexually transmitted infections, and as we discussed earlier, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. You have to be really clear about what that means. Because someone might have just had a blood test or just had a urine test and not actually have been tested for the full panel of sexually transmitted infections that we're concerned about. And then you're not only presupposing that your health is good, but the health of your partner is good based on an incomplete
0: um, test. Oh, that's such a good point. And also for say, you know, like you mentioned, if they do find out, um, you recommended kind of like printing out some information about it and pr- and sending it or showing it to them. Is there any other way you think would be good to kind of disclose that information? Cause it could be very uncomfortable for yeah. someone. Mm-hmm.
1: It's really, it's a hard thing to, to say. And I think unfortunately sometimes those conversations aren't happening, which again, even if you're not with that partner anymore. They still can expose any future partners to an infection. So, I mean, I think that you can tell them to go to their doctor because they may have been exposed to a sexually transmitted infection. That can be difficult because um, some people don't have a doctor or again, you're sort of putting into their hands a lot that you're not telling them exactly what infection they've been exposed to, you're not telling them what the treatment is, and you're not sort of explaining to them the importance of getting treated. So, I mean, there are clinics that you can walk in and get testing for sexually transmitted infections or treatment if you've been exposed, including many emergency rooms. But I think that it's just saying to your partner, I recently went to my doctor they did some routine testing and it came out that i was positive for this infection it's a sexually transmitted infection so we since we've had sex you need to be treated for it Mm -hmm. it's hard to take away all the awkwardness of that conversation and you know sometimes there may be anger there may be people who are upset or they feel guilty or they feel that there's some sort of accusation in it But again, if you sort of make open discussions of sexuality part of your romantic relationship generally, then that helps set up a good basis for having those sort of more tough discussions.
0: Well, and I think that's a really important point, especially for our audience. It's okay to have these conversations. There shouldn't be any stigma or shame around it. And I think that's one of like the biggest messages is knowing your body, um, making sure that you're healthy so that you can have um, like a healthy sexual like life and so that you can have open discussion with your partner. That's really important. That's about all we have time for today. Thank you, Dr. Scott, for joining us on SBH Bronx Health Talk. For more information on services available at SBH, visit sbhny.org. See you next time.
1: All right. Thank you so much.